Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Phil, here's another example of someone you know better than I do who I beg you to invite to lunch. Someone I love. Yes. That I've known for a long time. And and uh, she's a great actress. She's on the right side of all the right causes. And more recently, a great writer and director, because I'm going to talk about this movie that I believe is, as of last night, it's on Showtime, so you can you should all watch it, and uh, we'll talk all about that. And I love her face. Her name her is... Her fame and her face. That's right. Her name is Justine Bateman. Here she is. Let's spill the beans, chew the fat, food for thought, jokes on tap. Talking with our mouths full, having fun. A piece of cake and humble pie, serving up a slice of life. Leave the dressing on the side, it's naked lunch. Clothing optional. Uh, today's sandwiches and salads come from Jeff's Table. A, a, a restaurant run created, started by a TV writer. Great guy named Jeff Strauss. Right. And if you guys who live in this area have not been to Jeff's table, I don't know what you're doing with your mouth. Mmm, <laughs> that's good. Mmm. We talked with our mouth. great. Yes. Yeah, this is good. It's okay. Justine, what are you up to? Well, just came from the... Um, you should be ashamed, Netflix picket line. Um, <laughs> so where I've been picketing regularly is that with- because of the strike or because of Phil's show being on Netflix? Are they? Are you? Are you? Are That's you shaming them for Phil? Yes. Are you like you like Phil? I I will shame them if they've ever treated Phil poorly, because I love Phil's shows. I think Phil's shows. I'm going to include this one and the last one. The, the last cooking show, too. Food show, too. Like, restore your faith in humanity. You look at that. You look at his shows, and you go, this is why God doesn't light it all on fire. <laughs> <laughs> look at these relationships. That is a that, great ad campaign. You know? Aren't you glad that Justine came? <laughs> very, very, very glad. Well, I actually thought about that, because in, in studying up on some of the amazing things you've done, You've done, you've written about topics that interest me a great deal. You did, you talk about first fame, which is sort of something I've been adjacent to my whole life, not in the way that you've, you've been inside it mm-hmm. uh, and trying to get 
in different perspectives to observe it and make sense of it to the extent that you can. Uh, and you've written about the face, which I, it, it's these are two related, connected, deep, deep issues in our world, and specifically women's faces and the way we project so much onto them. And uh, and then this movie, Violet. So we have so much mm-hmm. to talk about. Great. And we can even get into AI, too. Yes, we won't need your face anymore because AI will make it the way they want. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, I met you as a journalist on the set of a TV show. Do you, uh, TV do you have show. any memory? The show is called Men Behaving Badly. Oh, the TV show. Yes. Because wa- Justine and I are both in the same movie, the, the TV, TV set. The TV set. The TV set. It's so true. Everybody, if you're wondering what it's like, what pilot season is like, or what it used to be like, I guess, for TV shows, you got to see this film. Phil is hilarious. and <laughs> You're hilarious. You're and, great. Um, Sigourney Weaver plays the yes. head of the network, which is a part Perfect. by written by Jake Kasdan, who also directed, mm-hmm. and it was written for a man, and they didn't change a word of it, apparently. And she's amazing. So, yeah, sorry, go on. That's something people should watch. Oh, no, that's with yeah. David Duchovny. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, what did you play in the team? I played David's wife. And uh, um, do you have any memories of being interviewed on the set of Men Behaving Badly? So much happened on that set. <laughs> I mean, it's it's some of it probably being men behaving badly. <laughs> it was a oh that you know I, I think it's always tricky when it's a show that's being brought over. You know, it was brought over by um, you know the um, from England. It was a BBC smash. I exactly. Think. And I think it's always tricky when you're, when you've sort of inherited for the showrunners, you know, that you're inheriting a show. It's not something that was born of you. Um, right. So, this, is, yeah. this was not the. There's the exception to the rule, like The Office, when it came to America. Mm-hmm. This was the rule. This was, yeah, and it was, was it called men behaving poorly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. But um, always been so a they, huge Rolling Stone fan. So <laughs> I was not in the band though. Just I'm only, oh, oh, only a writer for the magazine. I wish. It. What are we talking about? No. Okay. Oh, but by the way, a Ro- Rolling Stones. And we'll get to everything more significant. But I will tell you, the only film of yours I need to ask at least one question about is Satisfaction, because mm-hmm. as a Rolling Stone journalist, as a I wrote the liner notes for the Stones for their box set. I I think you rock. I I'm not no, saying the movie you. is Citizen Kane, but as a a it's a, a it's a fun summer film, you know. Uh, and I just looking back at it, I realized that obviously people might remember Julia Roberts was like maybe that was, was her first film. Her first film. I mean, she might have done a small part in something else, but that was basically her first film. Yeah. And did you think this girl's going nowhere or this? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. When we were in the casting sessions, this was Brandon Tartikoff's NBC Films. Right. This is his entree this. into yeah. film. So we had an NBC head of casting or something. I forget his name right now. But I remember when Julia came in, she had a great energy in all of this. And I remember he had this like really bad criticism of her, you know, um, um, something like, you know, she's not as great as she thinks she's, or something like that. I don't remember what the quote was exactly. And I thought, dude, what's wrong with you? Like, what is the... <laughs> well, he was obviously right. <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing ever became of her. And after jealous. That. Yes. You know, it just, yes. yeah, it just seemed like he was um, resentful of, of actors or something. I don't know. It was so strange. But she was terrific. Britta Phillips, terrific. Britta Alvarado. Who, who went on to, like, Britta and Dean Wareham, if you oh, know. Oh, forget it. She was a mom 
not a mom, her dean, her partner had a kid at Oakwood. So mm-hmm. I oh. like I would sit at school events at Oakwood with Phil and I would go like, you know, Johnny Depp, okay, but Britta from Satisfaction mm. is there. That right. was a bigger deal. So good. Anyone who doesn't know their music, I highly recommend listening to Knives of Bavaria. Very that cool. single. Oh my God, that's good. Very, very exciting. So the NBC head of casting talking about women makes me think of your movie, Violet, has mm. filled the, there is a voice, this is a movie about the voices in our heads and the destructive nature, how they can lead you to, in all sorts of wrong directions and not be true to yourself. But it's, in, in the case of this movie, you made the very interesting decision to have this woman tortured by the voice in her head of a man, it's a male voice. Mm-hmm. And it's Justin Thoreau, uh-huh. who's really good at being a scary voice in a head. Yeah. What made you, is that, a, was that a, always the case that you knew it had to be a male voice? And is that part about the way, like that casting director, men do tend to think they have a point of view on women, like their faces, for, mm. to, to, to cross over your projects. It's like, what made you cast this a man to be the voice in the head of your lead. It's Olivia Munn, who's great. Yeah. It. Well, first of all, I I don't think people um, striking out at others due to insecurity is a is a gendered thing. I don't think it's a male thing at all. Uh, women can do that too. Um, it just so happened that that NBC head of casting was a guy, and you could tell immediately that he was just like uncomfortable and maybe envious of Julia's uh, energy. You know. So you find the same experience in Violet. She has this, so these are the uh, critical thoughts in her head, right? The, the voice that tells you you're you know, a piece of crap and you shouldn't do this, nobody's gonna like you and all of this. Um, and that's Justin Thoreau's voice. And I, I went through this experience many years ago um, where I realized I was making fear-based decisions, not instinct-based decisions. And I was you know, just off, off track, off my track. You know, I didn't feel like I was being myself. And the one thing that really helped me, a lot of things helped me to get out of that, but the one thing that really helped me is to imagine that the voice was not within me, but without me, okay? Just Mm -hmm. outside of me saying it to me. That way I was able to look at what was being said to me objectively. Like if you were to say X, Y, Z to me, would I react the same way as if I'm, you know, just responding to it as if it's coming within, you know, my own self-talk? And so because that helped me so much, I wanted to pass that on to the viewer because the most important character in that film, Violet, is the viewer. Um, and if people want to see that, I highly recommend justwatch.com. There's also an app if you want to see where it's playing online or for any film you want to find out where it's playing online, justwatch.com. I have to tell you, I haven't gotten to it yet. I've been traveling, but mm. I can't wait to see it. Oh, it's um, so helpful. We talked about the making of it and getting it distributed. Oh, for Violet, that, yeah. Right? Oh, wow, yeah, that's a whole story, the distribution. It ain't easy. But but so I wanted to pass that on, that experience to the viewer of having it be separate. So I didn't want it to be a female voice where someone might assume that's her, like her memory of her mom. I didn't want it to be her own voice, uh, her self-talk. I wanted it to be something that was different gender, different tone. And we even, you know, in the, you can't tell as much on when you watch it online, but in the theater, like we separated out where that voice is coming from, oh. from any of the other voices in the, um, in the film to really kind of disembody it. And so hopefully people will watch that and then 
separated out for themselves their own negative self-talk. That's self -talk. a very healthy and helpful thing to do. Did you mm. come up with, in your own life, you came up with that yourself or did you, were you in therapy discovering that? How did you deduce that this is, uh, or how did, this is a coping mechanism? Yeah. I am, this is not me saying this. I'm going to pretend that this is someone yeah, else saying it. Just act it. as if. And but did some, Did you read it somewhere? It was, did you it get was, it from something? It was definitely suggested. and and Because I don't think many people could come up with that themselves. Yeah, it was definitely something that... Um, something I realized... And, you know, with, with all, all these things, you know, anything that... Anything that works for someone else that's passed on to others, yeah. you know, for each individual, everything's an experiment. You know, you, you take it on. If it if you like the results of that experiment, then keep doing it. Like if somebody does what I'm saying and pretends that critical voice is coming from somewhere else, mm -hmm. and and if they find that that helps them to look at it objectively, then keep doing that. Yeah, you if win. it doesn't, don't do it. Yeah. I don't I'm right. saying it worked for me. I don't know if it worked for other people, but try it and see if it, you like how it feels and then keep doing if you like how it feels. It is a very simple fix, I think. There's I'm no, going to try it. Like there's no right Shut up, you. <laughs> there's no right or wrong <laughs> way to, to do it. And then I always in it and I I don't know if I explore it that much in the film. I definitely in my first book fame I explore the process that that I use if it's helpful to anyone, and that's it. When I do that, get that critical voice, and it pushes a button to me, or that critical voice seems to come through somebody else to me, which is what happens in Violet with her boss, which is what happened to who that. is by the way Dennis, uh, the actor's name. Yeah, Bitsakaras. Oh my God, he's he's, so he, he is a great douchebag. Like he's a great actor. I, I've worked with some great douchebags, but this <laughs> guy was acting the part, and I hope he. Was, he's a great actor. Oh my God, it's great. Um. I will, the thing that you, that having, I spent the last 24 hours just because this sort of came together rather quickly, mm. just like throwing myself into everything you've done with your books and with the movie. And it's kind of, I'm kind of in awe of, on many levels, you have healed, educated, elevated yourself in the discussion on mm. all these issues. You did one, th one thing that I've always, especially like during the strike, like as it goes on for a while, it's yeah. like, what do I do if we do it? Is it like, like I said, do I go back and study something I always wanted to study? Mm. And one of the things you've done in life, you didn't, you're now you're younger than, than us, but you did go back to school, yeah. which is something I'm fascinated with. Like what that was like, what was that difficult? Was it, you know, you also obviously are famous. So that's a different, I don't know what you, when you go to class, I think I heard you say once, the kids didn't necessarily know who you were, but the professors sure did. Yeah, which made it easier to get into like <laughs> classes that were full. Well, you know, right. I would like send them an email, and they're like, "Yes, we could certainly, <laughs> certainly come on by." You know, that's like when we had we're doing the Grammys one year at the last minute, the night before the show. Uh, Paul McCartney said, "Maybe we could have Bruce Springsteen sit in on this number." So we had to make a call to. John Landau, Bruce's manager, and the call came back, and we were standing there, and he goes, Bruce just has a question. When you say Paul McCartney, you mean the one from the Beatles, right? And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go play guitar with him. That will work. It must but, have sounded so nutty, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but for you, so was that experience great? Was there any tough, anything tough about it? Oh, I mean, first of all, yes, great. One of the greatest experiences of, uh, one of the greatest experiences of my life. And what school? Where, what did you study? It was UCLA. 
I went in as a freshman at 46 years old. Um, I studied, my major was computer science and digital media management. So half my classes were coding, half my classes were um, uh, management, sociology, econ, lots of econ, lots of math classes. Um, and um, it was extremely difficult, extremely challenging, and extremely rewarding. And for anybody who wants like a free pass, a leg up, like um, uh, an entry to or a, or given a job or, you know, and not kind of work their way up, I'm saying like you will never experience the emotion of triumph if you have not worked hard for something. That experience will be exempt from your life. It's impossible to feel it. So like with coding, the reason I say it was so difficult because I mean, I love, love hard work, but there's something about being gifted at something or not. And I know what it feels like to be gifted at things. Uh, the risk is gonna sound how, whatever. I'm gifted at acting, even though I don't act anymore. I'm gifted at writing. I'm gifted at directing. I'm gifted at producing. I'm gifted at collage making, different things like this. Gifted at knitting. I'm not gifted at music. I can learn how to play music, you know, musical instruments, and I've learned a few. The other thing is I'm not gifted at coding, <laughs> but I worked my ass off. And one of the things I came away with, for whatever it's worth, is every time I was handed a spec you know, for a project, every time I didn't know how to do it. And every time I turned, I turned it in finished. So I know you can hand me anything and in any, any type of problem, anything, and I'll figure it out by doing research, I'll find people to help me, whatever, I'm gonna get it done. David, David, pay attention. At all times. We're driven by the search for better, right? But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't the search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates and fast. Ditch the busy work, people. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Indeed is such a positive word. I love saying it. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Naked Lunch will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Naked Lunch. Just go to Indeed.com slash Naked Lunch right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Naked Lunch. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You, you need, need Indeed! indeed. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Am I right that did you go back? Were you in a special class for no. adults coming back to no. do this? So you were because when you're doing technology with in a oh, college no. environment, uh, it's like because I know I don't know what you're like. You call your like you asked William, our producer, over to ask yes, I ask a young person right we when I right. need the computer like, yeah, fixed. I, I'm my now, kids. Yeah, your kids are your IT team. But what's now, great like, is now I can call Justine. <laughs> sure. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, it, it was fantastic. I mean, at the time, I was I had been doing a lot of digital media, you know, right during the the, the Writers Guild strike of 07 and 08. Um, I was putting together a lot of projects that were um, uh, uh, in the direction of tech. I'll spare you that whole story where people are like, "No one's ever going to watch long form anything online. No one's ever going to watch anything more than three minutes." And I'm like, "No, that's a YouTube technical restriction. Listen to yes, me." Right. You know. Yeah. Of course, it sounds silly now, but um, we're big Quibi fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God, the graveyard of. <laughs> multi-million dollar like under the umbrella of studios and networks these these they actually thought people were gonna pay but for bef- even before quibi do you remember all of those they spent so much money on these and i talked to one company and they told me the breakdown they're like oh we did a show for blah 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 a minute and it wound up being we had i think he said we had it was like under the umbrella of a studio or a network or something it was their digital arm right and he because he was telling me because you would price things at that time Per per minute, not per episode, because an episode could be twenty minutes, it could be three minutes, whatever. So he he said, um, no one's ever gonna. Um, uh, first of all, no one's ever gonna watch more than three minute episodes, whatever. And then I said, you know what, the per minute thing, which was basically like a um, low low budget uh, feature film kind of budget. And um, and he said, oh, that's outrageous. We you know we just did a show. We did all these episodes for you know two hundred fifty. We had a we had a. Uh, $700,000 budget and uh, we did all of them for you know all the episodes for $200,000 and I and then we went on with the conversation and then I said wait 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 you just go back to so so you did this for this little, what happened to the other $500,000 and he goes well you know overhead and off, and I just thought oh Catering. my god you guys <laughs> what are you doing yes that's criminal they well, said, don't you see the nice office we have? <laughs> and that's what's going. We're still, you yes, know, it's going course. on today, right? Don't you see my suit and my shoes? Um, Unbelievable. But yeah, it was it was a phenomenal experience. The that that'll be the third book. You know, talking about what what that was like. Yeah, being well, at yeah, UCLA. continuing education, which is a concept that it's really like bigger than people who go back. It's a, that's one of the keys is you have to keep. But learning. here's the thing: 
Don't you think that college is wasted on young people? Mm. It's you should go when you want to learn, not that because all of the world is telling you this is just how it goes. You finish high school, now you go to college. It's wasted. And speaking of wasted, you're wasted when you're there. You're just, you're just partying. Phil, so I, I totally agree. I was there. You know, there were so many classes where I had life experiences to attach what I was learning to. You know, yes. that you go like, oh, wow. That, you know, something in econ, you're like, oh, my gosh, that really, that, that. I can use that. That econ principle yes. really explains that one experience I went to with uh, went through with that um, investment years ago, blah, blah, blah. And when you're younger, you don't have as many experiences to attach what you're learning about, to attach what you're learning about. Yeah, right. that was a complete sense. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was thinking too, like, wouldn't it be cool if our, if our I mean, uh, this is silly, but I don't think it'll happen, but if our society was set up that where there is a fund that you can tap into because yeah. it's you know one of the things about being younger is you don't have you know financial responsibilities and you don't have a lot of responsibilities so you're able to go to college but when you're older you're you're, you're maybe you're taking care of an elderly of parent course, or you course. have your job and you're taking care of your kids and all this it's hard to just jump out and financially you know be able to handle that it'd be cool if there was you know like at age 45 or something there was some fund you could tap into yeah and you and you just step out and if that was like standard like the israeli army everybody goes and serves right. right and it's That's set right. up for that it'd be cool if we had that kind of thing and set up. It, we might be a little smarter and better maybe i know and i think that would help a lot of people who were feeling like just um sort of dragged down by their job sort of if they're in a job that they don't love and there's routine to it you know to go to school and just learn a bunch of new stuff is really exciting i think if a kid wants they should take that year and some some do i i'd love to know what the stats are and take that year and go travel sure and figure out like you need a break from you just were in 12 is mm. how many years is school yeah 12 years of non-stop you know you have the summer break yes but you're on that. You're already in the rat race. Well, as a yeah. guy, did you yeah. did you leave education to act, or did oh, you, no. were you I mean, tutored on sets? I don't yeah, even know. Yeah, tutored on set. I mean, the California labor laws are are fantastic for for you yes. know if you're if you're yeah if you're underage and you're working the Jackie Coogan Jackie Coogan you get some of the money set aside and you also um, they're very strict about how much time you can spend on the set. How much yep. time you can spend on camera and yep. how much time, I mean, you know, as a producer yep. having to deal with that all the time and how much time you have to spend in the classroom. So for me, I went and, you know, went to my school that I was already attending, got the books and knew where they were going to be at the point at which I was going to return from the end of shooting the season on Family Ties. Um, and it worked out great. No, so it was, um, no, school was always really important to me. So that worked out great. Um, in terms of continuing education professionally, the becoming a feature director, I'm, like a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. the thing when you see this movie is that you didn't make it easy on yourself. This is one of the most, and on, on a, I can't, I don't, it looks like you had a lot of money, but you, no, you did, is it fair to say you did not have a lot <laughs> of money? We did not. Because you do it the looks things. beautiful, right? Oh my God! It's not only beautiful, but it's so ambitious, Phil. Yeah. There's because you see, not only do you hear this voice of yeah the, the voice in uh, Olivia Munn's uh, head, Justin Thoreau, you see written like there is sort of like Greek chorus of you know 
inner monologue. Uh, so that I can't think of. I'm saying it's ambitious, you know, kind of like, you know, James Joyce, Ulysses. And the, it's pretty friggin' ambitious. Thank you. And visually, there's like one shot. There is, and you do this a number of times, but I, I'm encouraging you to see the movie. But like, it's like kind of like, I thought of like under the bridge and Red mm. Hot Chili Peppers. There's one time when you sh- there's someone under a bridge and you see projections, like cinematic because you're, it's all the voices in your head and all the thoughts and all the haunting of the past. It's so ambitious. How? How did you? Why is that a tendency? You like to make things very hard on yourself because it's it was wildly ambitious and successful. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, thank you for noticing all. I, for me, each each script has to have, um, and each the book too has to have a thesis statement. And once I know what that thesis statement is, like. Basically, why am I even making this? What do I want people to come away with? What's the whole purpose of making it? You're never going to make it in show business. (laughs) Because that's the last thing that they care about. It's all I care about is what is this about? What is it about? You have to answer that question. I totally agree with you. And if you can't answer that question, it's time for you to put that script aside, you know, and and work on something else instead. But so that thesis, thesis, you know, was I wanted to provide the map to the bridge from a life where you're you're making fear-based decisions to a life where you're making instinct-based decisions. Because when I was younger, I didn't know that you could get from one kind of life to the other. And once I understood what that bridge was, when I thought about like, okay, what, what, what do I want to be my first film? What do I want to make sure gets out there? I thought, well, I want to share that map with everybody because it's almost like a revenge film for me. Like I wanted to take revenge on that fear that stole time from me, time from me being myself. Anyway, so... I, I put all those elements in. In fact, the handwriting was not in the original uh, script. Uh, and the handwriting are her thoughts of like, you know, wanting the kind of notes you'd, you know, if you were trying to get out of prison and you'd you'd throw up through the, you know, some high b- yes. barred window and hope somebody would find these notes and come Message rescue you. Message in a bottle. Yeah. Exactly. So those were all the messages in the bottle. And when I got to the, what should have been the final edit, I realized I really didn't have the completion of that thesis statement. And I was like... I just thought this is trash. It's just you know, if it either either it completes that thesis statement or it doesn't. To me, there's just no in between. But you know, when you start working on something, you can have that thesis statement, and suddenly you discover something along sure. the way, and now your thesis can change. Totally, and totally. It's better. But so long, everything feathers into and supports yes, it that. It still whatever. has to be about something, though. I totally agree. So. I was thinking like, oh my God, what am I going to do with this? Like I, you know, of course I'm not having any money to do reshoots or anything like that. And and then I, I thought, okay, just get, just really, really crystallize what it you think is missing. And I thought, well, I'm missing the subtext that I need. And I went, okay, then just write it on the screen. Ah. And I was like, boom. And I thought, well, let's see if it works. Let's see if it gets me to that, you right. know, crystallization of that thesis statement. And we tried it out like on the first reel and it really worked. And and we also increased the the amount that the, but the other things like the projections, that was like her sort of, her memory of the last time she would felt really free kind of coming and like kind of trying to draw her into having a more, a life where she's more honest with herself. And at first she really rejects it, but then she starts embracing that because she's getting closer to actually feeling that again. Yeah. And the thing about the movie and, you know, to maybe connect it to the, you know, writing the book about faces and the face uh-huh. is that it, it's a movie that makes me think 
it, it's a reminder of something that every time we have like a famous rock star who self-destructs or some, you know, someone, uh, you know, the person who no, never, people we think no would never shoot anyone, shoot someone. It's that you have no idea what is going on in anyone else's head. It's yeah. like, it's a very vivid reminder because it's Olivia Munn mm-hmm. who is sort of like, and I'm, I can sort of project she looks a little like you and mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, she's a little younger. And I think like, just like when I was watching Mallory on Family Ties, I didn't know who you were. You know, no, you know, we all project onto people, but then you realize you don't know anything. And then then the interesting thing about your book about the face and everything, and I've seen like on, on your press tours that you've done about this, the women the, it's fascinating what you're saying. And then the way women journalists and women in the audience in particular react to it, it's like They've been waiting for someone hmm. to say this. Well, and it, tell, tell people your thesis statement of, of that book. I love that you call it a squ- One Square Foot of Skin. skin. <laughs> yeah, because when you look at it that way, you're like, wait, am I letting this le- um, dictate my entire day, my entire life? Um, so when I was writing my first book, Fame, The uh, Hijacking of Reality, which is like a, the life cycle of fame, if people want to read that, um, there, was one, there was one point where I was doing research on myself to remind myself of some event that happened and mm-hmm. I I googled my name and well and the autocomplete was looks old and I was like and I was I mean I'm 57 oh you mean you type in your name typed in my name and, and then autocomplete. the first thing that comes up was to looks, complete that sentence yeah, in the looks google old. that's terrible but and at the time crazy but at the uh, yes, time it's also not true which but right. I'm 57 now this was like at 40 42 so I didn't even have a container. You mean to put compared it in. to twenty-year-old you from the show? <laughs> no, but my face really hadn't started changing yet, so I didn't have a container I to put it in. I don't understand. I, I didn't either. So that's the book. Yeah. So because I didn't understand, I made the fatal mistake of clicking. Oh no! And I went in. Oh no! And I was stunned at the number of um, uh, results that. There were so many conversations about this, and so many articles, and so many. I was like, I didn't, I had no idea, and that sent me upset? down a rabbit hole. Were you, were you like devastated? Well, here's the or? thing: it affected me more deeply and for a longer period of time than I could have ever um, imagined, because, and this is the thesis statement of the book. I had a completion to this sentence: If people think I look old, then therefore, mm-hmm. and there was a completion to that sentence. And that's a thesis statement. Everybody has a completion to that sentence because it's not about the skin on your face. That's why I say it's just one square foot yeah, of skin. Right, right. It's about the fear, the irrational fear that's underneath it where you think, if people think I look old, then therefore I'll right. never get a job. People um, won't listen to I'm me. Useless in I'll the never world. get exactly. Yeah. If they th- when it, in fact, that fear, uh, because I think I'm useless or because they th- I think I'm never gonna get a mate or I won't get a job, that fear already existed in you. Before your face started changing. You're worried about getting a job. Pure, yeah. Like you were worried about that. Yeah. You've been worried about that for right. years. That's one I'll of never your work core again. fears. Yes. yes. And so I go into that in that chapter, Acid, in the Fame book, about what my completion was. It's a little too long to get into here, uh-huh. but people can read about it Great. in that chapter. Um, but all to say, 
it wasn't about my face. It was about something else. And then I thought, okay, society as a whole, because there's no them in society. It's all us. We're just the collection of these people alive right now. We are society. I thought, why does society as a whole hold the, hold this idea that women's faces are broken and have to be fixed? That had to have come from some, that has to be some reason, some um, genus of that, some. And so I, I looked into what that could be for different people. What that so this is based on my experiences and and emotions and feelings about it, and then those of about twenty people I interviewed, and I took what they said and I, I did um, uh, creative nonfiction and I made these very short short stories based on all of these uh, situations and emotions, and some are tied to the fact that all the villains, almost all the villains in fairy tales are old women. So you have this association with evil, and I'm not saying get rid of them. I'm, I'm not about that. I'm about getting rid of your own buttons, not about changing other people. So, but it's possible for some people that they absorb that unconsciously, and now they, they're right. looking I older. I want to be married to the princess, not the wicked witch. Right. That, so when they start you. looking older, or they look at women who look older, it's possible that un unconsciously they're holding that uh, equivalency of uh, old women and evil, but once you understand something like that, you're like, wow, I think that is what I'm doing. Then it starts to erode. So I always find it's important to get to like, what is the root fear that's underneath the whole thing? And then just in saying it out loud or writing it, journaling it, it starts to erode. I also think that the, we're, we're crazy society and that the people who buy into, you have to look young and attractive your entire life. Mm. Well, you live by that sword, you die by that sword. Because and that and people have literally and, died from that. And then you don't you don't have any other sense of self other than that one square foot of skin. I, I, I have That's my, a, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, your I, worth. Yeah, I think about it in terms of like yesterday was my wife's birthday, and I honestly I and happen, you said that number that's too big a number. <laughs> Get out! I'm out. Didn't you no, read the prenup? I, I happen to love my wife's face. I think it's a great face. I like it more <laughs> as it becomes more. Her, you know, and it's, and she looks, you know, she still looks 20 years younger than me. So that's all good. Stop pandering to your wife. Exactly. <laughs> no, never, never stop pandering to my wife. David, David, pay attention. At all times. We're driven by the search for better, right? But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't the search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates and fast. Ditch the busy work, people. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Indeed is such a positive word. I love saying it. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Naked Lunch will get a $75 sponsored job credit 
to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Naked Lunch. Just go to Indeed.com slash Naked Lunch right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Naked Lunch. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You You need need Indeed! So you wrote the book Fame first. Yeah. And did that lead you to face? Yeah. There's a connection. Yeah, because of that chapter, Acid. Right. Because once I worked through that, that. yeah, once I worked through my own personal completion of that sentence, Mm -hmm. like, I'm afraid if people think I look old, then therefore, then I started thinking about society as a whole. Mm -hmm. Like, why does our society as a whole even think that women's faces are broken and need to be fixed? And so that's, I get into, you know, all these different... Um, possible reasons just through these stories, you know? So, so someone going, could just read a story and go like, oh my God, that's that's where mine comes from. So going backwards from face into fame, mm-hmm. obviously you had this connection with fame from an early age. Did you write the book because you felt you needed to work through how that either screwed you up or how you dealt with it? Well, I'll tell you, Phil, talk about your thesis statement changing. Yes. That one started as an academic book. Uh-huh. Um, I wanted to get at, I wanted to examine that thing that happens in a room where somebody really famous walks in, right? Yeah. If we were at a restaurant, so let's say there's 30 people in the restaurant all yes. having, you know, and Brad Pitt come, walks in. Like a wave. Or Phil Rosenthal. Or Phil Rosenthal. Like a wave, everything would change in the room. Everybody would start sitting differently and everything. And I was like, what is this thing? So I really wanted to get at that. And like I said, it started as an academic book and I got halfway through writing that. And because it, it's the, uh, the life cycle being, it begins, it rises up, it equalizes, like say Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise, like they're just going to stay at that equalized, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, nadir of the, of the arc, you know, forever probably. But then people like me, it fa- the fame fades and then, and then disappears or, you know, I mean, it goes away completely. Um, so I started in on it. Oh, I started doing the academic version. I got halfway through and I realized one of the publishers I met with that I didn't wind up going with, I realized based on something that they said, I was like, oh, wow, this is the wrong format. And it, was, it wasn't because of what they said. Somehow what they said flipped that switch in me. And I went, oh, no, this has to be like stream of consciousness. This has to be like um hunter s thompson this i mean not you know in this style or like um michael Hare's dispatches it has to be uh a it has to be like a 250 page sentence it has to be visceral it has to be anyway so what it is is you know what firsthand what that experience is like on the inside of that life cycle and then from the outside my theories and sociological theories on why people behave the way they do to the famous person at different points in that life cycle. So it's really, it's a, it still is an academic study of, and the, the structure that academic of the academic book I was doing yeah. is still under that stream of consciousness, uh-huh. but the, I wanted to be more raw and visceral. Yeah. Um, and uh, I forget the original question, but... <laughs> 
Did that's, it come from, from your own experience? Were oh, yeah. you working oh, stuff okay. out? So to answer your question, yeah. yeah. So I say this in the in the um in the in the um introduction that what everything I just said to you. It started yes. as a as an academic um book, but then as I started doing the writing and doing the research, as I started doing that new format, uh-huh. I realized how much there was in me to work out. So, Which is yes. probably what attracted you to the subject in and, the first place, subconscious. And that is really what happened in that book, for sure. And I, and I go through the process in there, so it's applicable to the process that I share in there is applicable to anything. And the cool thing is, yes, of course, famous other famous people had you know told me um, uh, how they related to it. But then I had what it really gets down to, and that's why I call it the hijacking of reality, for all of us, we have some elements in our reality, where we live, who we're married to, what our job is, what our gender is, uh, all kinds of things like that. And if any of these things change, it can be like a massive adjustment. Somebody dies, or you have to move, or you lose your job. And for a really small subset of the population, fame is one of those things. It becomes part of your rea- your reality, mm-hmm. and you start attaching things to it. Mm-hmm. Mm, you know, uh, it's it's... It's not like you're 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 getting an elevated sense of yourself. You are, atta- you know, just like someone would with with their job. They're attaching their self esteem or their identity with it, and then mm-hmm. when they lose that job, it can really jar those two things. And so that's um, kind of the process I had to go through as it was leaving me, as fame was leaving me. I had to quickly unhook these things that I had attached to mm-hmm. it, that were naturally attached to it. I mean, who can blame you if it's just you're just everyone's reacting to you like you're famous for so many years Mm -hmm. yeah of course it's just part of your reality but when that reality changes it can be a big adjustment can i say what the messaging you're putting out there is so great and healthy like i've experienced i've been around fame for like 40 years in an intense way and even little things like i had a tv show for a few seasons on bravo and I've told Phil before you got here that one of the most amazing educational moments of my life was getting reviewed. When you're like, I was a reviewer in many oh, ways. Funny. And that getting reviewed right. is always educational. I think it's really good. You, you experience life on all sides of the food chain. You get written about, you write, you put things out there. But when I had a TV show, one of the first reviews was from a Midwestern paper. And it was someone saying, this show is great. Musicians on Bravo is great. And at one, But at one point it said... The host, David Wilde, who does not have a face that should be on TV or something mm-hmm. like that. And I was just sort of like, of course, you get, you know, your feelings are hurt or whatever. And then you go, it's like, I wasn't putting myself out there as a leading man in a romantic comedy. I was interviewing Elvis Costello. I didn't know I had to be, mm. you know, beautiful. But the amazing thing was, I then, it was, I, I remember the name of the journalist. Or I remember the paper. So interesting. I went and looked up the paper. And then, you know how in the old days, a newspaper would have the picture of the columnist. Okay. And the woman, it was a woman attacking oh, me, dear. which was more hurtful. But she was not an attractive woman. I know. <laughs> I'm not going to name her, but she named me. I'm not going to name her. But I was like, lady, you should be praying I get on TV. Like, why, you know, why would you? And then there's just a sickness in our culture. And the thing that when you write about the face, uh, and especially when I think about male projection, like being around, I've learned people should not be projecting onto other people's visual appeal it's like unless you're going to try to date someone like i guess my wife can criticize me but like who why do i why should anyone else why should we engage in all this the but the other the amazing thing is seeing all of your work fame face and violet sort of 
throwing myself into it last night. I then watched, because uh, I, Davis Guggenheim, I wrote a documentary with, and uh, I invited him to be on the podcast, uh, which he's going to do, he says. So I watched his Michael J. Fox documentary okay. last night, which still, I don't know if you've seen it yet, Phil. No, I've got to see it. It is so amazing. But what the, the amazing thing about doing all of this last night was he... His bravery in doing this documentary is—it's a similar message. I'm not—it's. It's, mm. I'm, not, I'm, I'm only going to say that. No, like, he's Michael's great. I love him. His, yeah. And and the point is, there's still a person in there. Right. It's like exactly. it's not about my fucking face. Right. Is really right. you know, and it is. Yeah. There's so much more to a person. And right. in anything, it's like has his what he's been through. It makes him a hero in a way he wasn't when he was just an actor as a kid. Mm -hmm. He was a great. You you were beautiful kids and great actors. Big, I'm not saying it's not the biggest deal in the world to be a beautiful and a great actor. Right. But like doing what you're doing now and him doing him and Davis doing a great job. Yeah, he did. I think like that's putting a message out into the world yes. that is really necessary. But but let me yeah. ask you, Justine, you uh, I think you're still recognizable as as that kid from the show, but, but and everything else to the you've fame done. Before. No, that I understand. Yeah, okay. But how do you feel about the level of fame you're at? right now the level of fame i have right now is just fine right. it is minimal it is mostly in the industry right and that's perfect this especially as a filmmaker mine is a tiny bit more than that at the moment only because the show is on right now but i tell everyone they should you should everyone should have the level of fame that i'm at right he now. loves his level because of fame. i'm old Oh. And it didn't hit me when I was 20. Oh, I right, was not, right. I suddenly woke up this morning and I'm Harry Styles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's where it's fun. once or twice a day, someone says they like what I do. Yeah. Everyone should know what that feels like. Everyone. I wish that on everybody. Yeah. It's never, ever been anything other than nice. I feel it's lucky. It's great. It's great. You know, and people should, you know, it, we're we're... We always have the fuel to like write an angry letter when we don't like something, right? Uh, you want to criticize a, a restaurant or something like this, but we don't have that kind of fuel to just compliment. So maybe there's a, sh a chef whose food somebody yes, really liked to course. write them a note and, and maybe they'll get the same feelings you but did. You like, I like it. what you do. I like your work. My joke is I don't even get that in my house. <laughs> but if people got it in their house. Wait, what is in there? A scripture is like... You're you're not favored in your in your own home or your own village. Or, yeah, I can't remember yeah. what it Whatever is. Whatever it is, but yeah. but the message is easy. Be nice to people. Compliment yeah. them once in a while. Tell yeah. them, oh, you look nice, or I like a good job. Even just good job. Yeah, it's so easy. I know, and it makes someone feel great. And then what? You know what they're not thinking about their face. Yeah, of course. And by the way, right? if you're validated yeah. in some other way, you're not thinking, oh my God, if I only I colored my hair or, or I, I yeah. got a nose job or whatever it is. Yeah. Even, even this podcast, when we started, we were with a company, different company. They just announced that they're going out of business, that company. I think we yeah. did it. I yeah. think it was us. We, 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 we outlasted them. We moved on. And the truth <laughs> is, at one point, they told us, we mentioned a few people, and it wasn't Elaine May, who was turned 90 right when we were interviewing her. It wasn't, we did an episode where we ran, we ran a conversation with Carl Reiner. 
But it was someone, I think, in their late 50s who they said, do we really need someone that old in our first 40 interviews? And I was like, for an audio (laughs) podcast to not want to embrace the wisdom of people. It's like you talked about it in one of the interviews. Look at us. (laughs) Please. No, we're old guys. What the who do you think we're getting? Right. Who are we going to (laughs) fool? I mean, we have had young people like Justine. Yes. But we have we have. The oldest people alive we've had on but the show. But I think that's so valuable, yes. especially something, especially audio, like to capture the things that people say and the wisdom that they have. Look, to me, there's two ages, alive and dead. <laughs> Very good. That's it. Very good. So, you know, which is it? Which is it? <laughs> which do you want to What be? age are you? Exactly. And it, as it turns out, uh, it, uh, research has showed us that people like the ones with the old 100%. people. 100%. Everything... Everything they said was was wrong. (laughs) By the way, when we were doing Raymond, they kept saying, you know, be more hip and edgy, get younger. So I wanted to say, CBS, who do you think your audience is? I know, CBS, come on. The median age of people watching CBS is dead. (laughs) Recently recently deceased, Phil, let's be kind. Yes. Uh, Recently deceased or been dead a long time. 69 to recently deceased. Yeah. Uh, No, it's, it's crazy. It is Absolutely crazy. And I wonder, just being in L.A., because, for instance, in, in Violet, uh, you captured show business so well. <laughs> like, every time there's a movie about show business, people go, that's not right, that's not right. <laughs> I saw reviews online where people were going, oh, my God, this is exactly right. Because, of course, you've grown up around this universe. Yeah. But being here, I, and I, you have kids, right? Yeah. Now, I have had my kids, my nephews, my nieces – approached by people trying to put them in modeling or shows Mm. or in auditions. And like, I always was like, I literally once pulled my nephew away from uh, the father of a very famous kid actor, uh, one of the Corys, who was like, they were trying to do some sort of like, it's like, come and get headshots, recruit him. But growing up with, because you and your brother were both in very early, right? Yeah, I was in at 16 and Jason was in at... um Mm, like 11 or 12. So did you, as a parent, I don't know where you fall down because mm. you said the laws are very strong, but would did you try to keep your kids away from this or do you encourage people to keep their kids away from this or you don't get involved in that? I'd say, yeah, it was, I mean, the ki- I mean, neither one of my kids are, they're inclined to business, not to the creative world. Um, even though my daughter is a really good artist, but whatever, this is what they want to <laughs> do. Um, and they'll they'll do great at it. Um, um, but if they had been inclined, and I did, I had somebody in a mall come up to me when I when I was with my son once and for commercials, and I was like, no, no, it's okay. The the thing about you can't it, trust anyone coming up to you at the mall anyway. I know, right? Like that, with candy right? and That's a band. That's weird. Yes, right. <laughs> but I think if a parent is thinking about doing that, you've got to consider this: when when somebody is becoming themselves. It's extremely, the way you do that is you are sort of, it's like two rocks, you know, uh, your engagement with other people, you're, you're, you're sort of um, molding each other as you have these interactions with other people, right? You're rubbing up against them and you're, you're chipping little pieces off. And, and when a child has reactions to them that are not um, natural organic yes. reactions... It's very difficult for them to get a sense of who they are because they don't. 
to grow. I believe you know? that you are emotionally arrested at the age at which you become famous. Possibly. Unless you're very but well adjusted. Yeah, there, you, there, are off, there are off ramps. Of course you know? there are. But um, a lot of people, yeah, and you could, be. we can point to them. Yeah, it can oh, be. Oh, where's that bad behavior coming from? Well, when he was 16, yeah. he became super famous. And that's the point at which people stopped saying no to him. He didn't need to it's grow. Not, right. You don't get no, and you don't get, you know, um, it also, you're getting conflicting signals. You know, one day you're in a scene and you and you do something where you you go kind of crazy and it's kind of bad behavior, but it's what's necessary in the yeah. scene. And the director, everybody's, oh my God, that was great. And they applaud you and everything. And then you maybe try that again in a scene. Mm -hmm. And then they got to take you aside and put their arm, arm over your shoulder and tell you that's not what we're doing in the scene. We need you to be quiet now. Or even if you're doing off camera mm -hmm. in that same scene mm -hmm. and they say, don't do it now. Now the camera's on the person you're talking to and mm -hmm. we need you to be quiet. Mm -hmm. So you're getting these super mixed signals and you're too young to, you are, your focus is getting yourself formed. Your focus is not doing good work for this set necessarily. And it gets all mixed in together. And it's really, anybody who comes out of that A-okay, it was either incredible parenting or divine intervention because it's just too confusing while you're forming. It's like, you know, as a plant is growing, you know, doing yeah. all, you know, putting all kinds of restrictions and moves on it and, do you know and Drew, thinking it's going to uh, be straight. Do you know Drew Barrymore at all? Yeah, I know her a bit. Yeah, she's terrific. Terrific. And look what she went through. She's amazing. I mean, at, at how old was she? Four? Yeah. Getting all these, talk um, about mixed signals. Wow. In, in, I mean, she her, was addicted to and stuff then at 11. And then drugs or, on top of that. Crazy. Really hard. Yeah, yeah, she's a miracle. She's, she is. You know, and I'm sure she worked really, really, I never talked to her about this, but I'm sure she worked really hard at that. Oh, to yeah. To like, you know, flip it upside down. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating to think of, because I think you would have, discovered Justine family ties, right? Is that of course. What so like playing a character who was obviously like, you know, a, not a rocket scientist. And the truth is you're, but you obviously are you scientist. are a rocket scientist. <laughs> you are an intellectual. And if, I, if I'm correct in what I think I've heard you say, you didn't even want, you were not a kid going like, Mama, I want to sing. You were no. not like desperate. Never for it. crossed my mind, even. Never so you crossed fell my mind. into it. I fell into it. My brother was already in the business. You know, he did want to pursue acting, and um, it's a shame it didn't work out for him. <laughs> it's a sore subject for him. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just fell into it, and I just fell into my vocation. What was my vocation for a period? And I was gifted at it, and didn't know it, you know, until that moment, and um. It worked out great, and I and I was with a, an excellent group of people. You know, Gary Goldberg and that whole team nice on Family people. Ties, like yeah. really good people. I'm sure it's the kind of set you had because it's going to stink from the head down or not. You know, because we, we were you're all gonna, whips and chains. Yeah, you know, you're gonna, you know, whoever's originating the show is going to hire the writing staff, and they're also going to hire the department heads, and those department heads are then going to hire people like themselves, and so you can get a whole pyramid scheme of great people if you start with the right people and then they they hire beneath them similar people yeah just be nice yeah that's a good i mean it really it's not that hard i worked on shows where they weren't nice and then when i finally got my own show i thought you have to literally think how you how you're going to be because you you're a writer mm -hmm. alone you write a pilot now you're in charge of the show right when it gets picked up how are you going to be uh 
How about be nice? The end. Yeah. Yes, we want to do good work. Yes, we want to, you know, there, well, there's rules. Well, a lot of people fear but, that, you know? They fear yes. it's going to make them look weak or something. I, I don't know. It's it's not I'm going to put rational. that on my picket sign tomorrow. Be, be nice. Be nice, AMP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Let's talk about yeah. the current situation in Correct. our world. You're wearing a, a WGA yeah. shirt. Yeah. They went blue this time, which is, I have a red one from 19... 19- I don't uh, have my old one. I was so disappointed. When they declared the strike, I was like digging through all my t-shirt drawers. Like, where is it? Did I've got I really a gray one and a red one. I'm a veteran. I'm, a, I'm ashamed that I don't have mine. <laughs> which, uh, I, it gets me out of marching for too long. I have veteran <laughs> like, status. Oh, this yes. guy's been around. That's funny. Yeah, always limping. He can go. You should go, Phil. You should go home now. <laughs> It's nice. But what do you think is going to happen? Are you, are you optimistic in, in, the, uh, in the world of show business? And you could be honest. I will give you my theory. Yes. And it's going to sound really harsh. Um, I can give you my what I think is going on with, all the uni- with these negotiations, and I can tell you where I think the, the industry is going to go. Uh, I'm sorry. just have to tell you what Larry <laughs> Gelbart once said to what me. What is it? Uh, we're dying just in time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think with this And then he go- died. Um, um, so I have been, um, uh, 15 years ago when I was when I was acting and I was on the SAG board and I was on the SAG negotiations uh, committee. Um, uh, anyway, that, when we were going through like what, what made for new media should be paid and everything. Interesting. Okay. How'd that go? <laughs> they were saying, there's no money in it. You know, meanwhile, during the writer's strike, they released Hulu. Right. So like, okay, so, but you put all this money into this and there's no money online. Anyway, no. we, all, we all knew that was bullshit at the of time. Of course. Too. You mean that they don't tell the truth all the time? No. I will so, not sit here. this go around. Um, Fakery and show business? <laughs> <laughs> this go around, um, the, um, the SAG negotiating committee, the leadership had me come in as a consultant on the AI because I have a computer computer science degree, and I had been um, posting stuff about AI, like where I believe, what I believe the use of AI is going to do to our industry, and in yes. particular actors, because they were starting their talks, and yes. I wanted the actors to understand what the even just consumer facing demos tell the layman what that means. Okay. First of all, I'll tell you what AI is. You mean tell David is what you're trying to say. That's right. <laughs> okay. So first of all, AI, quote, artificial intelligence, is you have something, and I'm, this is a real, it's much more complex than this, but this is just the basic um, design of it. You have an LLM, which is, which is a large language model, and you feed it a bunch of things. You, uh, if you want it to write scripts, you feed it as many scripts as you can possibly find. If you want it to write essays, you feed it essays, you feed it dictionaries, you feed it your grammar rules, you feed it the English language or whatever language you need. And then you give it a task and you, and then it's based on what it's been fed. It'll spit out an amalgamation of, of what it, what it has. So if you. It's if already you, doing term papers for exactly. kids. So if you ask it though, like I want, um, a, I want a book that's you know it's a LLM's been trained on a bunch of books, and I want a book about pandas in space, and you haven't fed it in anything about pandas, mm-hmm. it will. And this is the unfortunate thing because it works with just statistics within its program, mm-hmm. it'll make something up, which mm-hmm. is bad. But but it it but basically it's just a dumb. But it program. will reach a point where it's a dumb program. It doesn't know 
what pandas are unless you tell it. That's true of all computer programs, yes, unless course. you're telling it what you know what it needs to do and what it is. It doesn't it, just operate it, on its own magically. But it's getting exponentially better true. every true. month, let's say. So that's what AI is, right. kind of a very basic view of it. Um, so the most offensive part of AI coming into the arts is, first of all, we don't have a problem in the arts that needs to be fixed by tech. So thank you. Stand back. I think it ruined movies. It, I actually it, do. Why, yeah. why do you think Tom Cruise has to put out a 10-minute video before the movie comes out showing that he's doing the stunt? I, because we assume that it's CGI like everything else. I think the Academy should give Tom Cruise an Academy Award yes, just and for, give him an Oscar yes. for doing all these practical stunts yes. and then also have a stunt category for crying out loud. That we don't oh, have a sure. stunt category is, I find offensive. Okay. So that's that's AI. So first of all on that. Um, and then where was I going with that though? To just describe uh, what Actors, it is. they're taking actors. So you're so talking then, about feeding in information. Right. They're feeding like Harrison Ford right now in that right. movie. They have every Harrison Ford movie ever made, so they can actually craft his real face and have a performance. It's not, it's not a computer generated. It's actually his face. That's right, and his voice. Right from from Star Wars from 1977. Yes. So you can either do a you can do it like you like you just said. Yeah. You can also do a digital scan, which they do for for films that are using CGI for these right. big stunts, like Fast and the Furious. And then they own I'm sure you. they do it. They do. Now it's supposed to be, you know, and that's what SAG's going to be, you know, I can't I've been in the, you know, and spoken to the AMPTP on yeah. SAG's behalf and everything. So I can't talk about what their demands are and stuff, but you can imagine the kind of protections that one would need. Yeah. Um on voice cloning, um, yeah. digital duplication, digital scanning. Like I know, you know, you mentioned Star Wars. I think yeah. Lucasfilms has been scanning actors for many years uh -huh. um, for various purposes, uh, maybe stunts, maybe uh -huh. the Carrie Fisher rule, you know, you may uh -huh. die in the middle of this and we're gonna need you. Um, so there are those things, but there's also tech and there are demos. If anybody wants to see them, I recently put a video up where I put like four of them together on my Twitter account. Mm -hmm. I have it on Instagram too. Um, and it's just Justine Bateman, um, where you can see what is possible. Things like you have an actor um, and uh, who's white, mm -hmm. and this is one of the demos, and you can change them into being black i saw that on your so thing. and it's not just the color of the skin it's the facial features and it's all very yes. subtle and it looks absolutely realistic yep another thing you do I is could not tell the difference exactly between that photo and yeah. a real photo of a yes person. and also face replacement yep um like let's say you know you could put uh you know tom cruise's face on matthew broderick's body in um you know, the producers. Or that Tom like Cruise deep fake that you see. Right. And that's pretty just convincing. You've seen that, right? But that's just there? like. No. Oh, you can see him singing a song. You can see him doing stuff that you never thought you'd see him do. Right. So you when you when you think about these things, and then if you go even further, you mm -hmm. can imagine, and this particular tech, I don't know, is exactly here yet, but it'll, it'll be here in about 10 minutes, I'm sure, where you could take like all the seasons of Everyone Loves Raymond. Mm-hmm. Feed it into an LLM mm -hmm. and and give it a task of how Make many seasons did you do? Nine, but you can have give a, me a tenth season. Yes, I get it. Okay, it won't be very good, but 
that uh, it'll right. be it'll and, it'll and, convince you that these were made. In particular, it won't be very good of shows that really ha- really had original ideas and really affected that people were emotionally. Yes. But if you take something that these procedural that these yeah procedural perhaps yeah or that something that these streamers especially uh-huh. have reduced the content yeah. and told those showrunners right. tamp down this writing because I needed to be second screen. Like I remember you mentioning at one point that this was a note that somebody you know got. Yes, second screen, second make a show screen. for second screeners. Meaning the first screen in everybody's life, especially a young person's life, is the phone. So while they're on the phone, they want to be tested, texting their friends what they're doing. What they're doing is texting so their friend on the phone. That doesn't require you to pay so attention. So there make are a show shows that does like not this. Distract them from their primary. And screen. it's basically wallpaper that you can look up from your phone, and you will not have missed any story points because there is no story. Right. You look up and you see a beautiful setting, a beautiful girl, a beautiful costume. And you can text your friend. I love this show. So every show would be Baywatch. Uh, not e- I not mean, even that not complex. Not even that complex. I'm telling you, there are shows right mm. now that I could name that right. are the. And the other note that goes hand in hand with with this is don't have outstanding moments in your show. I remember can you, you imagine? That. I mean, it's like, all it's we like, do in what? every field. That's like including a, podcasts. That is a sick joke. You, it's not. It's it's no. Because, Basically nothing for the trailer. Because they right? can't track you if you only go to that moment. And if you text your friend, mm. oh, she gets hit by a train at 22 minutes and 17 seconds. Check it out. They go to that and then they are untrackable. Mm. Well, well, you can. And you they can, want to track so you. So all this that we're talking about, yes. you can automate all of that. That's right. That's easy for AI to automate. It's, it's, the it's beyond show. formulaic, right? Yes. But also what they will do, I believe... They'll look at all, I'm talking about all a, uh, completely AI films. They will look at your viewing history and they will see that you really love sci-fi films and you love documentaries about, you know, uh, aquatic sea life. Right. And they'll make you a sci-fi film that takes place with a bunch of sea creatures. Yes. And it'll okay? be David's... Uh... And then... David's uh, uh, streaming service, and then they'll have an up. They'll they'll offer you an upcharge opportunity where you'll be able to go scan yourself digitally, yep. upload that to their site, and then they'll put you in these customized films. Now, okay, and that, now that's gonna. That, now let me get yeah. into where I think the business is gonna go. Yes, now, I'm just gonna talk about this business, but then I'll get into what I think is gonna happen to all of society. So I believe. Be scared. Be very scared. I believe, but be very scared, but then there's something on the other side. Okay. So I believe what is going to happen, and sound odd because of how committed I am to making these strides and positions and holding these positions for our unions. I believe that no matter what we get with the, what we get with the union, what we get uh, from the AMPTP within the unions is very important because it signals to other industries what the kind of positions they need to take. And also it sets a standard for how we would uh, want to be treated by other companies that are outside of the AMPTP. Now, the companies that are outside of the AMPTP are not distracted by labor actions right now and not distracted by n- negotiations. I'm talking about tech companies that are already putting together all AI films. Okay. Now, the demos I've been posting are just consumer facing these aren't even like you know big money um kind of 
uh, tech that is, I'm sure, being offered by companies like NVIDIA to the studios and the streamers. So I think they are going to come in. I think they're going to crater the structure of the business. I think they're going to burn this business down. Everybody will be, I mean, you can imagine if you don't need the actors and you don't need, you certainly don't need a director, you don't need any of the crew. You're doing these things that are customized to the viewers. But then, I, and I think the viewers will, there'll be a novelty to it, especially them being in it. Uh, and then some people say, well, they don't want to see themselves in it. They want to escape. And I say, two words to you, social media. People are fascinated with themselves. It exists already. It's Endlessly. TikTok. It's Instagram. Exactly. It's YouTube. So I don't believe for a second that's not going to be a huge success. But at some point, just like the end of um, Super Size Me, where, you know, uh, Morgan Spurlock ate McDonald's for 30 days mm -hmm. and felt like sick as a dog at the mm -hmm. end. I think people will start feeling sick because people who are artists are, I believe, tubes through which, you know, God, the universe, magic, whatever you want to call it, comes through into society. I'm talking music, art, fine art. You look at art history. All these big changes, so many big changes have happened in society through art changing, going into a different genre and all of that. Or it's been, it's been uh, sometimes in lockstep too. Things that are happening in the community um, signal what, you know, uh, inspire the artist to go in a particular direction and mm -hmm. that sort of moves things forward. So I think people will start feeling sick about what they're, you know, now not getting. And then they'll, then they'll reject it. And they'll not only reject that, but they'll reject any content that seems like that. Because I think people's sense of reality is about to get tossed upside down. Because they're in their own lives, there's going to be, I mean, voice cloning is so easy now. I think in the new iPhone, there's, um, I think there's the ability to clone your voice. And I'm just like, what is the fucking use case for this? Like, because all I, the first thing I thought of is I'm going to be at a coffee shop. And somebody's going to have their phone next to, at the next table recording. I think they said you need 15 minutes, recording 15 minutes of my voice and cloning it. And I, because this is so easy now, I encourage everybody, put your phones in the other room. Get with your family or your close friends and, and have a password. And if a voice calls, it sounds like your buddy Tony, and it says, I'm in trouble, I need $5,000 wired, you say, what's the password? And if they don't tell you, if that voice doesn't tell you the password, you can hang up. Okay, so people's sense of reality, photos. You guys have seen the one of the Pope, and, and there's different ones, I think. Um, anyway, we've seen all of these. I think the judicial system is not going to be able to uh, allow any recorded, um, uh, any audio, video, or photographic evidence. So I think it's going to be a, eventually really bad. But in the arts, at least, on the other side of it, we are actually going to have something we haven't had for 20 years, a new genre in the arts. I think people are going to want something real and raw they're going to even even content that seems like AI and go like, no, 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 this was made before AI came. They're going to say, I don't care. It seems like AI. I don't trust it. I, for me, AI in the arts is absolutely the opposite direction of where I'm going. I want to get more real, more, more human. More human. Right. Yes. So for me, what I said is going to be on the other side. For me, that's the rope toe through the fire. Yes. Like I don't want to have anything to do with what's going on. And people go... Oh, well, you know, you got, you got to be on the you're cutting edge. This is what's going on, Bateman. You know, this is the... And I said, you know, 
fentanyl is what's going on. I'm not sticking it up my nose. <laughs> so I don't, well, you know, to me, this is not that's the what future. what I was going to give her for dessert. <laughs> ah, to me, this is a tangent. This is not the future. The future is the next. We haven't really had a new genre in 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 the arts, with with some exceptions. I mean, and there's been some good work over the last twenty years. Don't get me wrong, but for the most part, it's been a slow slide into complete content, and we haven't really had a new genre. Again, with some small exceptions, since the '90s. And I think then it's up to us to do towards the government what the WGA did towards the AMPTP, which was wake up. This is what's going on. You guys have been abusing writers in the streaming capacities at the very least, and AI has to be dealt with. And, and at my I point, think, it is this coming for them too. It is. And I think the AMPTP business affairs people were, this is just my assumption, but it seems to me like they were like, wait, what? We <laughs> thought we were just going to do one of these negotiations again. What do you mean? What's going on? And it shook them. It shook them awake, and I think that's why, it's just my theory, but I think that's why the DGA was able to have a conversation even about AI, where they said to the WGA, like, oh, we don't want to talk about that. I think it was more like, uh, wait, what? <laughs> like, that's not on our agenda. AI, hold on. So I don't know how it's going to go, but if they do get a deal that protects the rights of actors, yeah. it will be very good for the writers, because then they can walk in and say, hey, we loosened the top of this pickle jar. Uh-huh. And now we're coming in to get our pickles because because we loosened the pickle jar, you were able to talk to them about AI and you were able to make a deal with the DGA. You were able to deal with SAG again. We don't know if that'll be a deal or not. So now we're coming in and we want, we want a favored nation. Let's go. And, it's possible. And you're saying that will sway the... <laughs> I don't think it's a sway. I don't... I am under the impression that the AMPTP... I think they are fully aware that if they don't give SAG all the protections that are necessary for the actors, the business will completely shut down on mm -hmm. a dime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And because of that, I think they're, it seems like they're wise enough to not want that. Unless... They're so close to having full AI films that they're like, yeah, we can do without them for a year. We'll be okay. Well, on that optimistic note, we're going to all write a note to Fran Drescher to send to Fran Drescher. And then pray. she will sign it to, to herself. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, uh, Justine, for your non-artificial intelligence, and for, <laughs> for gracing us. Uh, your true our, intelligence. Uh, really appreciate it. Oh, thank, I'm so honored to be on. Thank you. More than just a pretty face, Justine. <laughs> uh, no, we love you. And, and thanks, Justine. Thank you so much. Bye. Naked Lunch is a podcast by Phil Rosenthal and David Wilde. Theme song and music by Brad Paisley. Produced by Will Sterling. Executive produced by Phil Rosenthal, David Wilde. And our consulting journalist is Pamela Challen. If you enjoyed the show, share it with a friend. But if you can't take my word for it, Take Phil's. And don't forget to leave a good rating and review. We like five stars, you know. Thanks for listening to Naked Lunch, a Lucky Bastards production. <laughs>